0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of All The Hacks, a show about upgrading your life, money, and travel. If you're new here, I'm your host Chris Hutchins, and one of the things I love optimizing the most is credit card points and miles. So today I wanted to invite my good friend and absolute credit card expert Sebastian Fung, better known on YouTube by his handle Ask Sevy, to talk about the current state of credit cards, predictions for next year, some of the recent changes we've been seeing. I'm looking at you, Delta. How to think about sign-up bonuses versus spending multipliers, how frequently you can open up cards, and a lot more. So, let's jump in right after this. Where do I start? Help desk software, payment software, email marketing tools, CMS and blogging tools, SEO tools, deal management tracking, pipeline tracking. You do not need more tools to get more out of your business. You just need HubSpot. HubSpot is built to deliver results, drive more revenue, and to help your business grow faster than you ever thought was possible. Try it for yourself today at HubSpot.com. Again, go check out HubSpot.com today. Sebastian, thank you for being here in person. Thank you for having me. For people who don't know you, I gave a little bit of an intro, but tell me about how you got into this game.
1: I kind of started my career in finance, moved into tech, did a bunch of startup stuff, and then got very obsessed of points, mostly because my player too, Mandy, wanted to travel a ton. And I was like, how do I do all this stuff without paying an arm and a leg? I think one big trip that really pushed it was a last minute Japan trip. And we paid something like twelve dollars or $1,300 for economy. And I'm like, wait, why am I paying so much money for economy? And then I fell into this whole points rabbit hole. I knew about credit cards before. But I was always on team cashback back back in the day where I was like, oh, just optimize your categories and that makes the most sense. But then I realized you can get so much more value from points and that actually moves the needle the most compared to cashback. I like cashback. I think a lot of people can benefit from it, especially if you have family and you're not traveling as much or you just don't care about that. But I think especially when you're young, points
0: drive so much value and just open so many doors. Is there a type of travel you think is necessary for points to be worth it?
1: I think it does lean more towards aspirational business and first class type of trips or more expensive trips. For economy stuff, I still pay out of pocket generally because the value is not there or I get okay value, like maybe 1.5 to 2 cents per point, but it's not the astronomical 10 cents per point. So for me, a lot of it is how do I as a P get the VIP experience and unlock this whole thing that I didn't think I could do. Growing up pretty lower middle class, I never thought I'd be able to fly business, let alone first. So the fact that even if it's just for a few hours. what it's like to be on the other side and experience that and see these other
0: people who are dropping 20k on these flights. That's nice. It feels really good to sit next to someone and be like, How much did you pay? I haven't actually asked it. I don't know if you ever asked, but I've always wanted to ask, How much did you pay for that? I've done
1: that in Bora where we were just hanging out and just talking to other people. And then some people were like, Oh, I paid 30. And then someone else was like, Oh, you guys are losers. We did it through Costco and we paid 25000 And I was like, Oh, I didn't pay that much money at all, but I didn't want to burst their bubble.
0: I know, but you kind of did. Just to open them, but next time, here's the tricks. A lot of people like the idea of points, but it's one of those things
1: that you keep in mind, but you never really act on it. A lot of people will be like, Oh, oh, you can get a lot of value. That's nice,
0: whatever. So it is tough to make that switch and like that first step is always harder. So I want to come back to these aspirational trips at the end. But first, I feel like there are very few people that are as in tune with everything that's going on with the points, miles, status world. I wanted to just bring up the topic of where we're at right now. We're recording this in September 2023. Delta has just told everyone that loves flying Delta that it's going to be a lot harder to get status unless you spend a ridiculous amount of money. By this point, we probably already will have covered the major news there. But at the high level, status is changing and it has, on other airlines over the past few years, where do you feel like things are in the world of points and miles? What's happening now?
1: So I feel like most of the airlines have told people either intentionally or unintentionally that they actually don't care if you fly them a lot. They care more so how much money you spend with them. So even if you look at United's change from the old system to the current one, it's very much contingent on you spending either a crap ton of money on your credit cards or flying a lot of them. But then it's not even economy flying. They you want premium, last minute business class type flying where you might be going to the airport and paying a thousand dollars for like SFO to LAX. So Delta's kind of in that same realm. They have simplified the whole process a lot more. But it's still very much targeted towards businesses. Even back in the day, you could get two Delta Reserve cards. Spending your way there was about 240K, but it was complicated. You were learning about MQT waivers, MQM boosts, and stuff like that. And now it's like just spend 400K and you get status or 350K. A lot of money for
0: most businesses do you care about status? At least let's start with airlines. Is that something you're even trying to get anymore? So I think a lot of people rightfully don't like status for a lot
1: of good reasons because they don't get upgrades. So back in the day, we were chasing United status. And then I think the most we ever got up to was platinum. And then we realized that out of SFO because 43 or 50% of people flying through SFO are United. So you're never going to get upgraded because there's too many people that have 1K and global services that you can chase it, but it's not going to help you as much as you think it is. So you pretty much want to get status with the second or third busiest airline from that airport. And for us SFO, it was Delta. And then if you're in Atlanta, obviously you wouldn't want Delta because there's too many Delta elite members and people who like just have unlimited corporate account money. So for us, we got Delta status. We liked it a lot because we were getting upgraded for our cross-country flights. We also fly during weird times. So that kind of helps, but being able to get a decent business class seat for five or six hours is nice. With the new change, I think we're kind of on the fence about how to play it. So next year, we're still going to be Delta Diamond. The year after that, I think unless we have some weird astronomical business spend, it just doesn't make sense. And then even then it's like, well, there's an opportunity cost of should I spend all this money on this card when I can just use a city double cash or a lot of other cards where you get more value, right? We might chase American status, mostly because the spend amount seems pretty reasonable for the level that we want. And then for that level, pretty much the one below EXP. So I think it's Platinum Pro. That one gets you one world Emerald status, which gets you into first class lounges when you're flying abroad. So we go to Hong Kong like three to four times a year. And if I can scroll up into the Cafe Pacific first class lounge while flying economy or premium
0: economy, that's not bad at all. No. It's funny. My adventures with status started with let's try to chase the highest status on United because we lived in San Francisco. And then it was, well, we're really only taking short haul trips where I just don't care or really long haul trips where we're using our points. Forget it. No status. So for the last four or five years, no status. And the one place where it started to bite us back was now we have two kids and we have an au pair. And sometimes we're traveling with five people, four seats. And the reality, we just did a trip with no check bags. But the reality is when you're traveling with four or five people with a bunch of kids, you got to check bags. And it was just an added fee. So it was like, do I want to get a credit card to cover the cost? Or there was a challenge for United, which was just in reach. It was spent $1,200 in three or four months on United. And we had a couple trips planned. So I went for it. And now I'm worried that I'm kind of getting caught up in this. For anyone listening who knows United status, silver, basically is free check bags. Economy plus at check-in if it happens to be available. So it's not special, but I'm finally back on that train. And now I find myself doing what I wanted to not do, which was I just want to take the easiest, most convenient flight. Now I find myself being like, ooh, can I take the United flight? Because I'm going to get free check bags. I'll just get a credit card then. I feel like that makes so much more sense. You get all the
1: perks of silver or even cold status.
0: I think it's because I had a United card for so long and then I just forgot to put a transaction on it and they closed it. And I was like, ah, do I have to really go back and get another new United Card it's another intro bonus. So we'll come to that. But it seemed like it fit in. So I did it. We're going to get some free checked bags out of it. But at the end of the day, the credit card can give you the low tier of status, which is like checked bags. You're probably not going to get preferred seats with any cards.
1: Not with the United cards. Delta does get you upgrades, even if you don't have status. But you're not going to get business or first. And even first is domestic first, which isn't that exciting. But you'll probably get a premium comfort plus equivalent.
0: So I'll probably play the cards through that. What about hotels? We don't talk a lot about hotel status. It feels like in the points and miles world, it's it globalist or forget it.
1: I think a big part of it too is because airline status is so hard to get with credit cards while the hotel status is given up willy nilly. So you have all these cards that give you either mid-level or even higher level status. Hilton Diamond being one of the prime examples, right? You're getting a top level status by getting a credit card that runs you 450. And then I would argue that the card actually is a net positive because of all the credits and the free night. So you have all these people that have status because the math makes sense. And people that watch YouTube are like, oh yeah, if you run the numbers, it's logical. So I think the reason people like Hyatt is because that's the one you actually had to chase and had to do meaning that there's less people that have it meaning that it's more beneficial because upgrades actually come to you if you have like 10,000 people that have status compared to 1000 that adds up especially in the US internationally though it doesn't really matter because everyone else doesn't have status so we'll go to Southeast Asia like Da Nang or something and they'll be like oh thank you for being diamond and for your two stays this year and I was like yeah thank you for having me because they don't see that many business travelers and their
0: credit cards don't come with status like ours do we've had that experience. experience in Southeast Asia also with Marriott or the former Starwood, any status was great. And I think Marriott, you can also get platinum with one card. Marriott, you can get it with the Bonvoy Brilliant now. Before
1: you had to spend 75k to get it. And yeah, now you get it, which I think is good because a lot of hotels can be free breakfast as
0: well and then upgrades up to like standard suites. Is there a hotel chain that if you were building loyalty, is it Hyatt? I found recently on Hilton when I dug into the terms, even if there's a nice room, they don't have to give it to you. I think a lot of
1: Hiltons are annoying in that way because they'll lean
0: into the terms.
1: And then it depends on who owns the hotel and their upgrade policies. But they lean very literally on the can give you an upgrade versus will give you an upgrade. But theoretically, it just depends on the person. And then sometimes if you're nicer to them, I find that they are more likely to give you upgrades. In the US, they just don't. Sometimes I'll open up the app and be like, hey, there is a junior suite available. There's three of them tonight. Can I get upgraded to this? It's like, oh, it's not available on my system. I get that they maybe have sales
0: quotas, but still it's annoying on that end. Are there any chains where you feel like you haven't had that problem? Because I imagine you probably have hotel status on all of the chains.
1: I feel like Hyatt is one of the best ones for that. That's why I like Hyatt, but their footprint's so much smaller. IHG's probably the worst with it, where even if you have like ambassador or like the top level status, they'll try to upsell you. We stayed at an intercontinental, and it was empty. It was during Christmas in Houston, and they were just trying to upsell us rooms. We were like, oh, can we get a tour of it? And I was just filming the room. So I'm like, still get a free review of the room out of it. But then it's like, yeah, that'll be an extra 200. Isn't this nice? I'm like, I think your hotel's not that busy. It's Christmas Eve. Why
0: are you trying to upsell me? And so if we look ahead because I feel like you have a pretty good sense of this. We'll start with status and then we'll move into credit cards. But where do you think 2024 what are we going to see? Are we going to see lots of big changes to programs? Do you think they've all made their changes recently focusing airlines on spend and hotels I guess haven't really made too many changes. Is anything changing?
1: American can be really smart here and they could actually even do campaigns where they bring Delta people over and convert them really well. So I think they should do that but they're not doing it. United's in a good spot where they're like we don't really care. I wonder if Delta will backstep their decision, but I feel like they won't. So some people pointed to the fact that like they did make some changes because people complained and petitioned and that it took two years or something. But I'm like, is it really worth your effort doing it, number one? And number two, even if they do make a change, it's probably still going to be like a mid-step where it's just not going to be good for you anyways. So I think there are a lot of people pushing for change and telling people to call the board of directors, but it feels like a fiduciary move. They
0: made a decision that makes sense for the company. I've heard the argument that Delta has the best product, like the best hard product on the plane seats, service, amenities, everything. And so they can kind of afford to do this because if you live in Atlanta, are you really going to change what you do? And then American doesn't have the best product. And so they're like, we're going to make our program work for anyone. And Delta's kind of like, look, we're really good. We don't need as easy of a program and it might work.
1: And I think it will actually attract the people they want. Because even if in the diamond ranks, there are a lot of people that have status. So by moving the bar higher up, that means there's less diamonds, but probably more people that are higher off with businesses that spend more money that want to buy these tickets who spend a lot on their credit
0: cards. So it kind of just works out for them where they have a better experience within the diamond rank. So not everyone here is focused on status on hotels or airlines. But I think a lot of people here are focused on credit cards. What do you think is changing? The only big changes recently, and I say big, like if I look... Look back over 2023. I don't feel like there was a lot that changed in the credit card game. But what do you think?
1: I feel like it's mostly the Venture X coming into the ecosystem and then disrupting everything. And now that Venture X business kind of disrupting it on the business side. I would argue that even that card is actually the best business card out there if you can use the credits and points and stuff. I think we probably at some point will see a bit more devaluation over there because it's kind of the Chase Sapphire Reserve strategy where you come in, break down doors, but then you have to take a few steps back afterwards and either increase the annual fee or decrease in benefits. After you get the market share, I think city is the big question mark that a lot of people have because they got rid of the prestige card and they haven't really been in this travel ecosystem. For a long time, they were actually in first place and the platinum pushed past it. I think back in like 2017, all the consultants had the city prestige because it was like an amazing card where they had this fourth night free perk. And if you were traveling for four nights every week, you would actually just get a ton of statement credits and kind of free money through your credit card. So the question is whether they're gonna try to come back into the top three or whether they'll try to go for the top again and how they play that. It seems like City has... There's rumors that a new card is coming. Yeah, the Strata, Elite, and Strata. Yeah.
0: But we don't know what it is.
1: We have no clue what it looks like or what it's going to do or whether it's going to be competitive. For all we know, they could come into the ecosystem and then if it's just like the luxury black card that is expensive but isn't good, then it's going to lose.
0: I've heard someone make very, very edge cases for City points. But if you already have some Amex points or Chase and Capital One, adding City doesn't get you many new options other than I think Eva Air. And then Eva Air is not even that good of an option. No, I'm not making a case. Go get a city card so you get some points. I just think that was the only one that stood out as the unique option. I'm at Flonivare. Business class on Eva is great. Even Economy is great. They're just very friendly. And I think they make some of their space available just to their program. So maybe that's a city point benefit.
1: I think for most people, the reason they go for city is because you've depleted all your chase options and then Amex is once in a lifetime. And then it's easy to deplete those options as well because there's only so many MR earning cards. And then you do Capital One generally early on. On. So city is that next logical step. And the fact that they do have some pretty good cards of catch-all options as multipliers, double cash being the good 2x equivalent. Yeah. And then the city Premier is also surprisingly good as a workhorse because it earns 3x on so many categories. Gas is a big one that a lot of other banks just don't focus on or they know that it's going to be a money loser. So they just don't really focus on it at all. And the fact that city Premier earns a 3x on it and it's uncapped is pretty good.
0: For any cards we talk about, if you go to allthehacks.com slash cards, you can find the links for all the cards we're talking about. Except City. We don't have any partners there, but you do. So if anyone here wants to get any of the cards that we're talking about, obviously support me. But also if it's a city card, I'll send them your way. AskSubi.com.
1: Again, asksevi.com. A-S-K-S-E-B-B-Y dot We'll
0: put the link to that in the show notes. I wish I could say I'm eating a fully balanced diet every day, but the reality is that I'm not. So I love having an easy way to get my daily nutritional insurance, which is why I always kickstart my day with AG1 and I'm excited to be partnering with them for this episode. AG1 has been in my routine for over a year because just one daily serving gives me the comprehensive foundational nutrition I need and supports energy, focus, strength, and clarity with 75 high quality vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients. So it can completely replace your multivitamin, probiotics, and more. Every morning I mix it up with some water, add a few ice cubes because it's so good cold, and I head to my office feeling focused and energized for the day, which is a feeling I absolutely love. I also love that AG1 is raising the standard for quality in the supplement category with less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything. So if you're looking for a simpler, effective investment in your health, try AG1 and get five free AG1 travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase. Go to allthehacks.com slash AG1. That's allthehacks.com slash A-G and the number one. Even if you're responsible with money and always spend less than you make, having a grasp of your cash flow has so many benefits, from spotting expenses that you definitely need to cut, to being able to better forecast your net worth, or even just being able to ask yourself whether you're really aligning the way you spend your money with your own priorities. This has always been so hard for me until I started using Copilot, which is one of my all-time favorite apps, and I am so excited to finally be partnering with them after being such a huge fan. Copilot makes it seamless and easy to track your spending and ultimately boost your savings. I've tried dozens of apps that do this, and Copilot is the only one I've kept using. You can link accounts at over 10,000 institutions, and their automatic expense categorization is the best I've used, with custom Amazon and Venmo integrations to make it even better. You can completely design your spending categories and easily set up rules to auto-assign transactions to them in the future. Thanks to Copilot, I've never had a better grasp on my spending and cash flow, which by the way, also means I can leave less money in our checking account and more somewhere else where it earns a lot more interest. So for the best app to track your spending, subscription, and investments, go to allthehacks.com copilot to download Copilot and use code HACKS2 during onboarding for a two-month free trial. Again, that's allthehacks.com slash copilot and the code HACKS2 for a free two-month trial of my favorite personal finance app. And what do you think is coming? VentureX was a big thing. I think we have two of them in our house. VentureX business, I'm torn on. It's a massive sign-up bonus. I think it's 150000 but you have to spend 30 grand in three months. But I already have the Spark Cash Plus.
1: Pretty much equivalent, but I would argue that the annual fee there is a bit higher because you don't have that many credits offsetting it. There's one, if you spend 100K or 150K, you get 100 back or something, or 150 back. I don't know if I put that much on it. But basically, there's nothing to help you offset it while the Venture X business has the same $300 and 10,000 points. So for me, that's already like, okay, that covers annual fee more or less, or you get $5 in value. So that's cheaper on a net basis. And then you also have a Party pass card that works for restaurants. So if you don't want to run Chase Sapphire or JP Morgan Reserve, then that's an option. And does the Venture X not? The Venture X one works for only lounges. But the
0: business is restaurant? The business as a filming works for restaurants as well. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. And then I think one of the other big changes was Amex pulling back on Delta lounges. And was it this year where they also cut back on guest policies? Yes. But I think it's that would be another big change.
1: So I think for them, they're just trying to figure out how to make the lounge experience better because if you have to wait 30 minutes to one hour to go into the lounge, then it's a lose-lose for them because people start canceling cards, people post on social media that the line sucks and that this is terrible. So how do you make it accessible to people, but also make it a good experience? They've toyed around with increasing the annual fee. And I think that is something that we're probably bound to see in 2025. But then the Platinum has done so well in the last two years because people have started doing the math and realized that it makes sense. The Platinum numbers have doubled in the last four or five years, which is a lot of people. And then the lounges have not kept up to that. And then also a lot more people are traveling now. There's also younger people who might be getting it because of the Perks or the flex on people and stuff. So it's just a lot of people have the cards and the lounge side has
0: not kept up. So, aside from lounge changes, what do you think happens with cards next year? In a year from now, when we're catching up, what is going to be the Venture X thing we talked about?
1: I think a lot of people don't like high annual fees for exchange of credits, but I think that's the most logical move for issuers and everyone. It feels like the most win. What I mean by that is, let's say you have a card that has an 850 annual fee, but you have like 1,200 in credits. So, some people hate that because they're like, well, I can't use all these credits because I think we're conditioned to want to maximize everything. But the goal isn't necessarily to use everything single credit. It's to get enough value that you maybe break even from the credit card. So all the other perks and the multipliers of the card end up just being value on top, positive expected value from it. So I think we're going to see more of that. Probably Citi's going to push that, but I think that's the most logical move because issuers make money. They probably have a bit more room to give you better multipliers too. And then for the people that would benefit from those credits, it's also a win because you might come out ahead. For the platinum card, if you live in certain cities, if you don't use certain products, you might actually be losing money or you might be paying that two or $300 in order to get the card for lounge access and the other perks. But there are people that live in New York in the Bay Area who already pay for Equinox where they come out ahead. They're like, wait, I use all of these services. I use Uber. I use Equinox. I shop at Saks enough that I can use the credit. I think we're going to see more of that, which might end up pissing some people off, but it's probably a net positive move.
0: I wish I used Equinox so that I could get the value. I'm pretty confident that just starting to use Equinox is going to not be a net savings.
1: So one tactic you can actually do is if you have a friend that uses Equinox, you could just let them swap your card in for a month and that will use up the credit. And then they can just treat you to dinner or something. That's what kind of I'm doing right now. I have a lot of platinum cards and then I'm just like, hey, I'm free. You pay for Equinox already. Anyways, I have these eight platinum cards. Do you want to swap them in every single month to use up the credit and then you can pay for sushi? I'm just going to stand outside of the Equinox in the Bay Area. So it's a portal every month, so it's easier. And I feel like there, there's bound to be a lot
0: of tech people you know that have it, but it's just a weird conversation. Probably not worth their brain cells. If I only have one. So if I had eight, maybe it would be worth finding that person. What do you think happens on the earning side? I know there was a big scare, I guess, when we thought this legislation was going to pass and cause all these challenges. It looks like it's not. Do you think credit card companies in the next year, do you think that comes back? Do you think we'd see legislation to try to limit the interchange that card companies can make?
1: I think think people are still going to try to push for it, whether it goes through or not is the big question. If it does go through, I think it actually kind of destroys their credit card space in a lot of ways. I think in the short term, we will see issuers just keep doing the same thing and maybe increasing the multipliers. It's really hard to do the opposite. If someone told you we're going from 4x to 3x, that's going to piss off so many people and get so much churn from it that you're probably better off keeping the numbers and then trying to make money back somewhere else, whether that's decreasing perks or increasing annual fees, because I think people are used to that cycle of upgrades. And then you could always argue inflation.
0: Like, hey, technically, 250 two years ago is now like 350 or 300. I think one of the hardest parts for cards is all the transfer ratios, for the most part, are all one to one and seem so simple to keep it one to one that they can't really pull that lever easily. So they could pull perks. Do you think we'll ever see cards where it's like, here are four perks, you get to pick two of them? I kind of wish City would do that or any
1: other issuer. I think that's an interesting play and gamifies it a lot more. But I'm not sure if the normal card user that's not a super user would like that because it might sound too confusing, but I think it's cool. I think right now you probably have at least eight priority pass memberships yes. and you don't need them. No, not at all. If I could use even the $50 credit or something per year. That would be nice. Or maybe a $50 credit for something else, boot Bootcamp or something. So I think that would be cool. It just brings up a different conversation now because for the Platinum, the whole draw is that, oh, I can get $1,400 in value. I might not, but I can. So there's that potential of getting outsized value. And they love to market that. Yes. Even for my calculations and stuff, I'm like, you need to knock it down for your own case. We have calculators on AskSebi.com for this. I think the moment you're like, okay, cool. That's a 900 annual fee, but you have 800 credits, but you have to pick the ones. It ends up not being the best for the company
0: or for people that are signing up. It's only good for us. And I'm pretty sure they're not optimizing for us. Yes. Do you think that credit card companies like power users because they tell their friends and their friends aren't? Or do they secretly wish that they could put a red flag on all of our accounts and close us all down?
1: I think we represent such a small number that they probably don't. Care. I think it's reminiscent of the casinos where there's people that count cards, right? You actually want people to think that they can go in and count cards and movies like that to propagate. The average person, even if they mentally can't do it, they're not going to spend the time to learn how to do it or they'll think about how to do the process. So by having this whole thing like, oh, you can get money, but maybe they don't do enough research, then they end up losing. But the people that watch videos
0: and read blogs are probably already a lot ahead of everyone else. We talked about how you have 8 platinum cards, which is a little crazy. And I think one of the things that people often miss about the game is we get so caught up in, well, which card is going to give me the most number of points for how I spend my money? And don't get me wrong. I've created a tool where people can actually go in and put their spend in and figure out the right optimal use of cards. Because at the end of the day, no one wants to leave points on the table. However, when I think about it and I just start doing the math, even with the best card, if you could have a 5x points on everything card and your return was 5x, welcome bonuses seem to be better than that almost all. Ways. Is there an argument that all you should be ever chasing is welcome bonuses and you should not be focused on any multipliers and bonuses?
1: So I think it's interesting where a lot of people who spend less money focus more on multipliers when they should be focusing on intro bonuses because that drives more money. If you're spending only 500 a month, getting 200 back for that 500 just makes a lot more sense. And you can actually repeat that so many times because there's so many cards. 5% on 500 is not material at all. So ironically, the people that should be focused on multipliers are the high spenders, the ones that are spending five or $10,000 a month eating out. I think some people look at them and be like, that's absurd. Who does that? But it's like there are people that spend a ton of money. For those people, the multipliers start to matter a lot more because that's already 25,000 points in one month, potentially, depending on the card. So for most people, especially when you're starting out, focus on intro bonuses, that drives the needle. That's like 20% return on spend to 40% depending on the card. But I think once you ramp up, once you have a business, at some point, just run out of bonuses. If you have a business that runs a lot of Facebook ads, and you're spending 200k a month, there's not enough intro bonuses for you to go for. So you do start to focus on multipliers or maybe getting hotel status or airline status with that spend.
0: But if you're someone who has dabbled, right, you've opened two or three cards, and maybe you're spending, I don't know, five, seven grand a month. So you're kind of on that high end, but you haven't opened up a ton of cards. Even if you're a high spender, if you've only opened up a few cards in your time, it probably makes sense to focus on intro bonuses.
1: I think so. I think you can argue that one a lot more because like you're in that weird mid spot. But for me, intro bonuses, especially travel ones, just drive so much value. Would you rather spend maybe three or four months of spending to get the same bonus or maybe one month? And especially if you are trying to time towards like a honeymoon or any other like big endeavor where you need a lot of points, it just makes more sense. So to me, I think intro bonuses are the focus, especially when you're young and you have time to manage stuff anyways. If you have kids, then obviously maybe that's not worth your time.
0: I would push back and say if you're going to spend the time to figure out what card earns the most points, you'd probably be better off just getting another card unless you've played the game so heavily that you're out of cards, which you probably are. <laughs>
1: so my view is you should probably work your way to like 10, 20 or like 50 cards. But obviously that's not everyone. And I want to be cognizant that like some people do have like lives. I like researching stuff on a Friday night. I think we'll watch Netflix, hang out, have dinner. But then at night, I'm randomly researching stuff and going down rabbit holes. Sometimes it's not credit card related. Sometimes it's like travel sometimes it's something completely different, like mechanical keyboards. I like researching stuff. I enjoy learning. But I know some people who are like, no, I'd rather be spending more time with my kids or partying or clubbing or whatever else.
0: So I think it just depends on you. So you just said potentially 50. Let's pretend someone listening is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was doing this game wrong. So one, I've noticed from people that have published, here's me opening up a high velocity of cards over a short period of time. The impact on your credit is surprisingly positive. So that was a misconception a lot of people have is, oh, if I opened up five, six, seven, eight cards in a year, year, it would destroy my credit. I'm pretty sure my experience from people that have reported it and from the few times where I did that is that the exact opposite is true. Is that what you've seen? For the most part, yes. I think short
1: term, you might see a dip. And then especially if you're a student, you'll see a bigger dip. And I think that's when they get spooked by it. But I think especially if you're in the 25 to 30 and especially later on range where you already have these older cards anyways to be your anchor and your foundation, the impact's so minimal. And unless you're shopping for a mortgage or something like that, it doesn't really matter. Oh, no, my credit score dropped from 800 to 750. And a 50 point drop like that would not be one card. That would be over a series. That would probably be over a series unless you had a very thin file. Like if you only had like one card and then this is your second card, then yeah, maybe you might see a 50 point drop.
0: And so how would you think about that sequence? If you were someone that's like, okay, let's get a card a quarter this year. I think earlier you referenced Capital One might be early. Is there a high level version of how you would think about where to start? I generally think
1: of it as stages. So Chase being the first off set of stuff because of Chase 524 and how they limit cards. And then also their business cards are pretty lucrative and you can get
0: a lot of them while you're under 524. And we've talked about this at length just for anyone who's new to 524. When Chase looks to approve you for a card and it's not a published rule, but everyone has seen it work. If you open more than five cards in the last 24 months across all issuers on your personal report, they're going to stop you. So if you've opened five and you try to open a business card, they're going to say no. But if you open a business card, it doesn't show up on your personal report on Chase. And so you could open up five business cards... And then open up a personal card and be okay because the business card is not going to show up from Chase. It will from Capital One.
1: Yes. And some other issuers, but most issuers don't. And then once you're at 424, you go down the ink list, especially if you have an EIN and different options there. You can technically get a lot of ink bonuses from each of your businesses. You have a whole business
0: channel on YouTube that I bet people can go deep down a rabbit hole. Ask every business. And so I think a lot of people would be surprised that they probably do something in their life that would qualify them for a business card, even if they're not running a business with employees. So that's definitely something to look at. So Chase is kind of where you start because of their kind of application rules. So application rules and also number of
1: intro bonuses and then the value of intro bonuses. And then the fact that a lot of their cards have downgrade paths and no annual fee options. And also a lot of the ones that don't are just keeper cards. So ones where you get value every year by keeping it. Hotel cards being one of the best examples of this. After that, I would do Capital One, mostly because they can be pretty hard to get approved for if you have very high velocity and you have a lot of cards. So, there are people out there who have an 800 credit score who make two, 300K, but who will not get approved for the Venture X because Capital One knows that you're not profitable. So, you generally want to get your foot in that door early on. Saver One, Venture X are all pretty good cards for that. They also just make sense. They're good cards by themselves.
0: If you hadn't opened a lot of chase cards and you're sitting at 024 or 124, would you make a case to maybe start with a big bonus? on Avenger X up front. That's
1: one of the few issuers I would consider burning a 524 slot for, but I'd probably still go through Chase personally, but depends on you.
0: And is it as simple as chase 524? If I'm at 124, can I just go open up four cards in the next 90 days? You generally
1: want to get a new card, I would say, every one to three months, and then for business cards, every two to three months. So you kind of want to half it out based off what you're trying to do. IXG Premier, World of Hyatt are all pretty good cards. Boundless is interesting, especially if you want to, in the future, upgrade to the Ritz card, which is another rabbit hole. United cards are good for the bonuses and downgrade paths and perks, if you want free checked bags. Aeroplan's just a really good bonus, but doesn't have a downgrade path. But yeah, there's like... A lot of cards it can get that just provide a lot of value.
0: I think Chase is probably the issuer with the most six figure bonuses. It's always Chase.
1: And then if you look at bonuses across the board, who really has a lot of bonuses, it's American Express and Chase. That's why you want to focus on Chase early on because you want to get those bonuses. And then a lot of the bonuses are also on that 24 month clock where if you don't currently have the card and you haven't got the bonus in 24 months, you would actually be eligible for that bonus again. So a lot of people start off Chase, go through everything else, and then you can circle back to Chase.
0: One thing that I think you'll find if you get to your fourth or fifth Chase card is you might get denied right away. And you can often, at least in my experience, call up and the denial isn't that they don't want to give you the card. It's they just don't want to give you any more credit. And you could say, oh, well, can you move some credit over from this other card I have that has a $25,000 limit? You could just put 10 there and bring 15 over.
1: Yeah, so Chase generally wants to give you about 50% of your income as your total credit limit for them. That's what they're willing to risk. So if you make 100, then among all your Chase cards, total limit should be around 50K. So you can also carve room, which is what I call it, where you intentionally decrease credit limits to just make it easier to get approved. So like, let's say if you have a 200K salary you know that your cap is 100k. If you already have 100k and you're not using all your credit limit anyways, why not just decrease one of these cards by 5k? Can you do that? Can you just ask them for a credit decrease? Yes, you can. And then that makes it easier to get approved. Obviously, some people will be like, I'd rather call in. I don't all oh, Getting credit limit decreases are dumb. Why would anyone do that? Guess someone who doesn't like calling in and waiting on the phone and stuff. I'd rather just send a message saying, decrease my credit limit by 5k. That's immaterial to me. And if it makes the approval process easier, then that's a win. Do you think there's an argument of that actually working more often? My rationale is that it's lower risk. Because I think anytime you have more eyes on your account, it's a negative thing. So I don't want to have to call in and then ask them to move limits around and then have someone be like, why does this guy have 12 chase cards? Maybe that's another risk flag. By me decreasing the limit, then it's the algorithm approving me. And to me, that's just
0: lower risk. So you go chase to Amex, I'm guessing.
1: No. So you do Chase, oh, Chase. to Capital One. Capital One. And then I would say City, Bank of America, Barclays are all kind of in the same zone. After Capital One, you can't make the argument for U.S. Bank. And there's not that many cards unless you're on team cashback, basically.
0: And all the ones you mentioned, Bank of America, Barclays, U.S. Bank, are they all cashback? Bank of America would be for Alaska points because that is super valuable and they have a lot of first business class options with their partners. We flew Alaska a lot for a few years. We had some status and I collected all these Alaska points and I never want to spend them because I feel like they're the one currency. There's just no way to get more Alaska points that I know of. Maybe Bonvoy transfer. It's not really a good transfer though, right? It's pretty
1: bad value to transfer. There is a case for Bank of America if you're on Team Cashback, if you want to have 100K with their brokerage with yeah. Merrill or something. Let's come back to Cashback. And any nuance with Amex? You generally want to start with the Platinum card due to the like how they use the Platinum offers to entice people to come in. So generally speaking, if you're not a customer of them, you can get the most value. Generally like 125, the 150K is an intro bonus. And like they dangle that carrot because when you're not a customer, they want to bring you in. But then the moment you become a customer it becomes a lot harder to get that offer. You can still pull it up by using something like Card Match. We have a whole blog post on assets I'd be walking through Card Match. But I think a lot of people just don't realize they see the gold card and they're like, that card makes a lot of sense for me. And then you get that card and then you potentially lose out on 75K to like 25K in MR Platinum bonus from the Platinum that you yeah. otherwise could have gotten.
0: I just got an email today that 150K on Platinum through Card Match is a very open option. Like sometimes it's, you're lucky if you get it. Right now it seems pretty pervasive for new customers. So I'll find a link to card match for the 150K and I'll put it in the show notes.
1: If you're not a customer with them, that's generally the easiest way to get the 150K. If you are a customer, you still can get the 150K, but it's just a lot less
0: common. And sometimes you have to literally wait for the flyers to come in the mail, like physical paper. And after, how do you think about the strategy of going through Amex membership rewards cards or MR, as you've been saying, or all their airline hotel cards?
1: I would do the other cards first, just because they have so many other rules around it. So there's something called a four five six rule. So for their credit cards, you can only have four or five or six of them. Their MR cards don't have that rule. So you can actually get as many of them as you want at any time. So you generally want to start at the credit cards first, because that just makes more sense to start those clocks because that's going to be your bottleneck and that's all
0: the Marriott, Delta, hilton, Marriott, hilton. Delta.
1: and i mean there's other cards there's like a lowe's card i haven't gone that one because that doesn't matter to me
0: would it be there on your quest to 50 is there an intro bonus
1: there is an intro bonus but i don't think it matters for me because i don't shop there
0: what's after that that's it right you circle back to chase or you get into the business game but i feel like that's it As a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Well, today's sponsor, Fabric by Gerber Life, provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies, plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. And when I say surprisingly affordable, I actually went online to compare prices and found that Fabric was highly competitive with great policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. And you can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meatfabric.com slash allthehacks. That's meetfabric.com slash allthehacks. M-E-E-T-fabric.com slash allthehacks. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states, prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Do you ever want to learn how to do something, but want to make sure you're learning from the best? Like when I wanted to level up my barbecue game? Well, for that, I took Aaron Franklin's Texas-style barbecue class on Masterclass, which was amazing. I've learned so much from the classes I've taken on Masterclass, and I'm excited to partner with them for this episode. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn songwriting from John Legend, improve your cooking skills from Gordon Ramsay, or learn entrepreneurship from none other other than Richard Branson. With over 2500 classes from a range of world-class instructors, that thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. And with every class I've taken, I'm blown away by the depth of knowledge the instructors have and the quality of the experience. I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class and right now as an All the Hacks listener, you can get 15% off when you go to allthehacks.com/masterclass. That's allthehacks.com slash masterclass for 15% off an annual membership. allthehacks.com slash masterclass. I just want to thank you quick for listening to and supporting the show. Your support is what keeps this show going to get all of the URLs, codes, deals, and discounts from our partners. You can go to all deals. So please consider supporting those who support us. We didn't talk about built at all because as great as I think built points are, there's no welcome bonus.
1: There's a secret welcome bonus that exists technically if you sign up and then oftentimes in the first five
0: days, they'll let you earn up to 50k points. You get 5x points and first they announce that it's official and then they announce that it's random and it's not official. So I don't want to promise it, but if you want a card to earn 3x points on dining, great. But if you pay rent, it makes sense.
1: I would still put it on the back burner after American Express though, or maybe like at the same time as American Express, the rationale being that the multiplier sounds nice on the surface, but if you're someone that's a low spender, you're better off using that rent to help hit intro bonuses. If you're someone who doesn't spend that much on everything else, but you're paying New York or Bay Area or anywhere rent, that 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 in spend, you can earn one X. That sounds great, but you're better off just literally hitting a full on intro bonus and paying like maybe 2% fees, if that makes sense. So you're arguing that because the intro bonus
0: is so big. Let's use a practical example.
1: Let's say you live in New York, your rent is 4K. You could easily use that 4K to hit the CSP intro bonus of 60K points. If you put it on the belts, you're getting 4,000 points. So you're looking at 60,000 points versus 4,000 points. And the fact that most intro bonuses are repeatable, you're going down
0: the intro bonus list. And going for an intro bonus each month, even if you have to pay $80 in fees, on one card, you're paying 4,000, you're getting a 60,000 point bonus and spending $80 in fees. And on the other, you're spending 4,000, you're getting 4,000 points, but no fees. Because the net amount is positive. Even if you
1: use enough credits to offset the fees you're paying, it just makes financial sense. Like the math works
0: out. Have you done the math? What is a average percent back in points for intro bonuses?
1: I'd say for cashback equivalent, probably about 20 to 30%. For travel stuff, 30 to 80%. Southwest ones, we've seen some pretty crazy offers there because they also have just like lower minimum spends oftentimes. Business tends to be about 11.1%, give or take.
0: So when you say 2025, you mean it's kind of like if your Amex gold card earns four points per dollar on groceries for the amount of money you spend on the intro bonus, you're earning effectively 25 points per dollar? You could say that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's different per card. And if you spend money past the intro bonus, it's not the same. But the argument. So for dining, it still makes
1: sense that intro bonuses are better, but that's still 4x. With
0: built, you're only looking at one. That is a pretty big difference to me. I think that makes sense. That was a lot. I think people have probably been convinced at least to look into the intro bonus game a little bit more if they haven't. What's the cap? How many cards are you at? north of 50. And no problems. When you were in that home stretch doing the last 40 to 50, you were still getting approvals. That's why American
1: Express was towards Dan. I think if you actually map out things properly, you can easily do that. It's not a problem. In terms of managing, I think some people will be like, oh, that's a lot of work. You can automate a lot of it using either code or just building your own stuff. Or even if you want to keep it very manual, you can set a lot of the dates around the same time. So for example, all my Chase cards close on the first of each month or as close as I could make it to the end of the month. Because everything just closes there. And then all my Amex cards close mid-month. And why does that matter? Mostly just to make your life simpler. If someone's like 50 cards, how do I deal with paying
0: these off? But you're not using all 50 regularly?
1: I'm not using all 50, but I'm saying just mentally, if it's weird for you to be like, I don't want to look at my cards every single day of a month, potentially for some weird fraud charge or something. It's just easier to maybe set like one or two dates in a month as dates that you even
0: look at stuff. But you don't need to use most of the cards. I just link all my cards. I use Copilot, but you can use any other tool. Link all your cards, and you'll to see all the transactions come up. I don't think I've reviewed my transactions on the card issuer sites for a while. So I think that also works if you have an aggregator. But yeah, for the most
1: part, I think it's a lot less stressful than you think it is. I think if you're coming from zero cards or like three cards to 50, that sounds very intense. But if you're someone who's already at eight to 10, you're used to it at this point. It's like going to the gym
0: And so, 50 cards, that's easily, I've got to assume, at least 75,000 points per bonus.
1: Give or take, yeah. To be fair, a lot of the bonuses were easier to get back in the day as well. Bank of America was substantially more lax with their intro bonuses and like how many cards you could get.
0: Any other things to keep in mind, especially on Amex, when it comes to how many times you can get a bonus?
1: So, it's technically once in a lifetime. I think there are some form inklings saying that maybe it's once every 10 years, but I just don't want to rely on an exception. For most people, I would lean towards American Express towards the end unless you know that you don't want to get that many cards because not everyone does, or you're just a very high spender. Like if you're a food reviewer in New York and you spend 10k a month, then yeah, the gold card probably works out for you.
0: And so we said we'd talk about cashback briefly. If someone's thinking, this is great, I want to earn a lot of value. I want to open cards. But when it comes to using my points, I just find that I don't get the value I want. And if you're ending up using your points to just book in the travel portal on Amex or Citi, is it even worth playing the points game? Or is it worth considering cashback cards?
1: You still can go for intro bonuses because it's a- the same math it drives the needle the most setup wise you might be looking at different cards so I think Chase still kind of works pretty well for cashback Bank of America is another consideration now because they have like these really good cards that you like earn up to 5.25% on a lot of transactions and 2.26 I think 2.625 like, yeah 2.625 on everything else yeah. yeah so I think there is a play for that especially if you just want something super simple and I think a lot of people get pissed off because they're like wait I only get 0.6 cents in value for my points and that's not very good you can get the schwab card in order to get like 1.1 cents so that's a bit better and that's the schwab platinum the schwab platinum but then at the same time you're like well if you're someone that's focused on cashback you tend not to travel in which case the platinum card becomes a lot harder to recommend and use so it's that weird dilemma where you're like Technically, a platinum card might make financial sense because I spend so much and that increases my earn rate, but I don't travel. So this card is not useful other than for that earn rate bonus.
0: If you want to earn points and you want to use them without having to go through the hassle of transferring, Chase is probably going to be best. Cap one... City and the one,
1: think it's really tough because you only get 0.5 cents per point unless you use like the saver, but like the venture X kind of becomes like out of the equation,
0: even if you're booking in their portal.
1: Oh, yeah. If you're doing some form of travel, then yeah, okay, so you got one sorry. cent. Sorry, but if you're like purely cash back, then I would say capital one, other than the saver, a saver one would not be on my list. City's also not bad. Portal's still only one cent, but you can also cash out at one cent per point, which is pretty nice. Okay.
0: So city's pretty good if you want credits out. And then we talked about rent, right? One way that you could hit these intro bonuses because some of them spend a few dollars. If you don't have that spend, do a lot of them, even run some in tandem. But You could just pay fees. Are there other good ways to increase your spend to hit these bonuses without necessarily adding to your expenses for the year? I think you can speak to this pretty well.
1: If you're the group trip planner, that works out very well, especially if you have more wealthy friends for a bachelor party or something. If everyone's paying you a ton of money and then you're booking all the hotels, meals are obviously another one. I think a lot of people also end up starting businesses as a means of earning more points. And then... Eventually, ironically, that ends up becoming like a profit center and say, oh, I can make a lot of money here. So I've seen people flip things or drop shipping style stuff where you can get a lot of points and also get money. Like I've run into people who are like, yeah, I run 100k in ads, make a crap ton of money. But I started this because I was trying to figure out how to get more points.
0: I met someone recently who I think he said spends $4 million a month for his business on... I can't remember which Amex it was. I would be so sad if it was like a platinum card because he could just be earning twice as much. But at that point, I'm like, if you're earning 4 million four points. Million.
1: I was going to guess the business gold for ads, but then I was say, like, oh, 4 million is a lot.
0: That's a lot. I guess Amex might be the only card that would give you a limit to do that.
1: Capital One Venture X business is also like a charge card where it's uncapped
0: and two weeks back on everything. That's what this person should have.
1: That's why I think it's like the best new card right now or like the best business card arguably. Same with the Spark Cash Plus.
0: Spark Cash Plus had the best intro bonus when I got it. It was 250000
1: it's just the fact that it's uncapped because Amex, unless you're doing like 5k plus purchases, then you get 1.5x on the Platinum business. But everything else is capped off.
0: Like the Blue Business Plus, that's only 50k. You're going to burn through that. If you're a high spender, Amex doesn't have a great everything card. Surprisingly. Okay. So we talked a lot about earning points. We talked a lot about what's coming. Let's talk a little bit about how we use them. I think the two of us have gotten a chance to do a lot of exciting international, maybe some domestic aspirational trips. If people are sitting on points and thinking, what are some amazing ways to use them? What 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 are some of your favorites and your highlights, whether it's airline cabins, destinations, or specific properties?
1: If you have a player two, you should probably ask them where they want to go. That's a good starting point because for a lot of people, that's how they actually convert their partner to get into credit cards because they're like, why are you focused on these points? This sounds dumb. But when you take them to the place they want to go, they're like, oh, this is really nice. Wow. Why were we flying economy before when we can fly business? I lean more towards hotels still in terms of value because I think you get so much more time there. And also you can have two people. Flights are fun. But they feel so much more finite. I think Bora Bora Maldives are obviously the go-to ones. And I think some people argue it's a bit overrated. As someone that likes to snorkel and enjoy the water, I really like it. And I think the fact that I can check it off the bucket list is fun as well.
0: No Seychelles
1: yet? That's on the list for 2024, the new Waldorf.
0: Oh, we did two Hiltons there. I don't know if they're both still there.
1: I think we were looking to that initially. And then when we heard that the Waldorf was opening 2024, I was like, oh, okay, let's just do that instead.
0: Some of those aspirational stays have been great. But even domestically, I feel like you've been done Ventana, which is one of the best values of Hyatt Points out there, despite being a lot of Hyatt.
1: I think that one's an interesting one. It's not for everyone. Like I've heard you either love it or you hate it. So I like it because it's a means for me to reconnect with environment and get away from everything as someone who's like constantly connected to technology. I grew up camping and doing a lot of that stuff. So it was the closest I could get to that while still keeping Mandy happy because Mandy just does not like outdoors stuff for whatever reason. She's also sitting there right now. I think that was the closest she got to glamping, which is kind of funny and also sad.
0: I've been there for a wedding and we were too cheap to book a room at the wedding rate and there was nothing with points. So we booked like a room at a hotel down the street and I have not been back yet. It's probably worth at least like
1: one weekend. It's just a nice little escape that's nearby.
0: So we hit the most obvious spots. Are there a few properties that aren't quite as wild as these honeymoon destinations that you think are interesting spots to check out around the world or even domestically?
1: Not really a points one, but you can use points to get there, booking through portals. Faroe Islands is still our favorite vacation that like we pretty much paid out of pocket for. So it's this little islands that is owned by Denmark, I believe. That's between London, Iceland, and basically up there. like a tiny island. They have these
0: puffins there. It's beautiful. Kind of what you imagine Iceland to be, but even nicer in a lot of ways. Just super picturesque. And last, what have been your top airline cabin experiences? If someone's like, I'm saving some points up and I just want to have a wild experience in the sky. Where do you think your points can take you right now? Because I know getting Emirates first used to be a little bit more accessible. Fees can get pretty high. What do you think is the best bang? Best bang for buck would probably be A&A, given just the
1: ways you can book it and like the value of the cabin and also the fact that it's like one of the best first and also business class. If anything, it's the best business class cabin right now. So I think that's where the value is. I think in terms of crazy experience, I mean, Etsy had first apartments is still nice. I don't like their soft product. They were kind of mean, but it's fine. But the hard product is nice. It's like very big. And where can you get Etihad? American is probably the best way. Or you can book through, I think, their points, but it might not be that advantageous. They used to have more routes, but then since the shutdowns and stuff, the routes only recently opened back up. So I think London to Abu Dhabi, or is it France to Abu Dhabi, is the
0: main one right now that has the new cabin. And second point is pretty hard to get. Is your stash of American points just American cards? Or how did you build up an American balance enough to do that? It's
1: mostly American cards, and we don't have that many anymore. So sometimes we actually even buy it if the math makes sense. So they'll have promotions where they'll be like, we'll give you an extra 40% points. So for us, I'm like, all right, cool. So that means I can book first class for about $2,200. I'm like, that still makes sense. There is a stage where if you're comfortable, especially for reviewing stuff, there is a case of buying points because at a certain point, you do
0: run out points. I watched someone do the math on Wyndham points. Wyndham points using the book of a casa, you can get some good deals. But at times, and I think recently, there was one of those times where you could book Wyndham points for less than a penny a point. And so to transfer your points to Wyndham was actually a worse deal than to redeem them for statement credits and just buy the Wyndham points. Same thing with IHG where like
1: their points are terrible value-wise and like there's almost no use case where you're getting at least one cent per point. So you're better off either just booking through the portal or just like cashing it out. But that's also why I'm wanting to switch from Delta because I have a lot of business spend anyways and I'm going towards status for my end result. So I want to have, let's say, 200,000 Delta miles or do I want 200,000 American? An American has so much more value while I'm sitting on an astronomical amount of Delta miles because I haven't had a good use case. I've been waiting for Delta flash sales to come back. And they just did. But other than that, I don't want to spend 400K for business class
0: one way flight. So, if someone's listening and they have half a million Delta points, how do you use Delta points to get good value?
1: It's either Delta flash sales or kind of treating them like cash and like Southwest miles where you get fixed value. And if you're fine, if that's great, like if you're cash back focused or like economy travel, it's not bad. But like if you're looking for outsized value, it's tough.
0: I remember we took our honeymoon to the Seychelles and it was 120,000 Delta points on Air France. Partner awards on Delta. Are there deals ever to be had?
1: So there used to be a lot more and it was a lot easier back in the day of partner rewards. And it's not really the case anymore. Delta flash sales is like the main thing that they discontinued for like three years during the shutdowns. And it just brought back in August. That's generally when they have either Delta or partner flights that just have a lot of availability that like people aren't flying. So they end up having a sale for it and better value.
0: I've been getting a lot of value from Delta points on just short domestic flights.
1: It's like fixed value. For that, you're getting like 1.3 to 1.5. Like you're not getting crazy value. I found a few
0: close to two cent values on Delta to Mexico, booking on Delta through Aeromexico. And it was actually like a two, two and a half cent value, even in business. There is also another trick that I think I haven't
1: talked a lot about because I wasn't sure if it was a good idea. But if you actually don't fly from the US, if you leave from Mexico, you can still get good value from business class. On Delta. On Delta. Booking Delta. Through partners. So like if you flew to like Mexico City to fly some other airline to like Korea or something, then it's not going to cost you 400,000 points. It might only cost you like 100,000 points.
0: So if you live in Texas, it might be a good deal. Get to Mexico City and go. If you live on the West Coast and have kids, it might sound like a nice... I don't think I would do that if you had kids. It's not on the table. Any other cool deals, hacks like that, you know, in the Miles world that you want to share before we take off?
1: Nothing I can think of too much right now. Yeah. I think for the most part, that's it.
0: This was so awesome. If you want any links to any of the cards we talked about, you can go to allthehacks.com slash cards, except a few. Sebastian, let people know where to find those and everything else you're working on. For city
1: cards or for other cards where you want to run the numbers and like play off the calculator, we have that on asksebi.com. You can find me on YouTube at asksebi and then asksebi business. We'll link to everything in
0: the show notes. Sebastian, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining today. I feel like I know a lot about cards, but I still picked up a bunch of new things. And I really hope it's going to help you earn a ton more points this year and next. Quick word of caution, I went to apply for the Venture X business after my conversation with Sebastian, but didn't realize that you're not eligible for the card or the bonus if you already have the Spark Cash Plus, which I do, so I got denied. I guess I'm going to have to cancel my Spark Cash Plus before trying again, hopefully before that bonus comes down, which right now is 150,000 points, but you do need to spend $30,000 in the first three months. Anyways, that's all for this week. If you're going after any of these cards or bonuses, you can find links to every card at allthehacks.com cards. And assuming the offers are competitive, I'd really appreciate you using those links and supporting the show. Thanks in advance. See you next week.